Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to the Love Coast. Thank you for joining me for another opportunity to really tap into the deepest essence of our being, tapping into the power of our soul, the power to transform our life, to create our life. Understand that actually we are the conscious creators of our reality. That is such a profound thought for me because when you understand that truly, you can journey through life without feeling that you are at effect as a victim and powerless. So this is the greatest awakening we have, is to understand that we truly are the conscious creators of our reality. And it's learning how to actually tap into that reality, that power, and to uh, be able to really feel uh, joyful and safe and loved in this world. So, uh, as always, I have such wonderful, inspiring guests, and today is no exception. So we're going to be talking about uh, a wonderful journey that my guest has been on and her book, Purgatory to Paradise, How Cancer Helped Me Design an Authentic Life with Mawish Saeed. And a little bit about Mawish. Uh, she is an esteemed fashion and interior designer, acclaimed author, and cancer survivor. Following her breast cancer diagnosis, Mawish transformed her experience into a narrative of resilience and rejuvenation in her acclaimed book, Purgatory to Paradise. She unveils the profound influence of beauty as a healing force. As a circadian certified professional, she applies the principles of quantum biology to her design and passionately explores how our surroundings shape our well-being, believing homes to be both visually stunning and physically beneficial for your health. Her unique approach seamlessly blends ancient wisdom with modern innovation, creating environments that not only captivate the eye, but also enrich the spirit. Featured in prestigious publications like the New York Times, Architectural Digest, and the cover of Hamptons, Cottages, and Gardens, My Wishes Designs transcend mere aesthetics. They embody healing and wellness. Wow, doesn't that sound amazing? And I have to say, I have been reading Purgatory the Paradise, and it's totally inspiring, beautifully written, uh, very poetic in many ways, I would say. And uh, I'm just so happy to have an opportunity to have a conversation with Marush Gai today. So thanks so much for being here, Marush. Thank you, and welcome to the Love Code. It is utterly my pleasure, Cheryl. So looking forward to our conversation ahead, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Well, you are such an accomplished woman, um, creating, talk about conscious creating, right? You are such a creator of your reality of having a successful business, um, having uh, such a reputation. I mean, you created it out of nothing, right? I mean, you just came to the United States, uh, studied, and created your dream, created your passion. I believe we all have the power and the agency to create whatever reality we desire. And I have to say, my roots, um, going back to my lineage, um, I was born in Pakistan, but even before that, I definitely feel like I am a living legacy of the women that have come before me, so I don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. So, 
You know, I always ask my guests to share a bit about the journey that they've been on. What what was it that happened to them in their life that was that moment that awakened them to their journey, to their real sense of self, and that led them to do the work that they're doing now? Hmm, that's such a great question. I would say that started when I was about four. I used to sew. I learned how to sew very early. You know, that story of Rapunzel pricking her finger on a spindle. I ended up impaling mine on my um, grandmother's rotary singer. So I was definitely anointed, and I learned how to sew and embroider and dye clothes and learn how to create dyes from um, tea and onion skins and so on and so forth. So I was initiated into the act of creation, and one of the fondest memories I have is watching my own mother take apart her own clothes and make you know, out of the clothes that she wore herself made clothes for me and my sister. And I ended up being a fashion designer first because I started designing clothes since I can remember. I remember I gave my home ec teacher heart palpitations because I I cut a dress without a pattern because I knew how to do a pattern. And so it was so interesting looking back as you're asking me, that level of creation and self-actualization of just making whatever it is that you envision is something I I think I took for granted until I came here and I realized that, you know, um, in kind of traditional school, that wasn't always the case. I was pre-med before I switched over. And frankly, I love straddling the arts and sciences. And I think what I'm doing now is a perfect amalgamation of beauty and health because at the the way I define beauty, Cheryl, it's not just skin deep. It's really about cellular alignment. And on a soul level, it's about complete alignment and self acceptance. And that beauty is goes deeper and deeper and deeper into many different pockets of our existence. What a, an amazing opportunity as a child to be in that world of women and arts and creativity and being able to um, learn those crafts, which, you know, we've lost in our modern society, how to, how to do those women things, those creative expressions of sewing and dyeing and, and creating. <laughs> yes, yes. We, and go ahead. Well, I did, we've lost that. We've lost that. Even, you know, the my mother-in-law would uh, be uh, very consumed with canning, right? She would can in the summer and, and have all these vegetables and uh, fruits canned. That's a, that's a lost art as well, which is just mm-hmm. part of the tradition of, of the women nurturing and creating. Yes, yes. I was making bone broths in college. I um, love growing my own food. It's something that I just grew up in and really absorbed like a sponge. And one of the things I learned to do really early on is to patchwork. I used to cut up my grandmother's, um, when we were living in America, I would cut up my grandmother's old clothes and 
put them together with new clothes and create a patchwork literally between the east and the west and mm. make things instead of, you know, at the time we couldn't afford the, the the trendy things. And looking back, I realized that that was treasure. The treasure was in that ability to imagine and to actualize my imagination. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it is a treasure. How, how beautiful is that? You know, uh, for a while early in my life, I actually lived in India. And uh, I lived in South India. And uh, that was such an experience every day going to the market and these women uh, buying the, the garlands of jasmine and gardenias. Mm. And so you have these beautiful flower lays wreaths, whatever you want to call them, they would either wear or they would bring to the temples. But you're surrounded by color and flowers and smells, which is such a unique Indian and probably Pakistani experience as well. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You're reminding me of the garlands. We would make them and and sew them ourselves, and then we would would wear them as... um, bracelets and necklaces and earrings and like, you know, um, as a tiara even. It really depends. But I love adornment and the scent of something, and I covered this, the five senses in my book. We experience the world through our senses. And mm-hmm. it's really important in creating your oasis, which I believe everyone has the right to experience their own healing oasis. You realize that smell is such a powerful primal sense and it's related to memory. And I actually talk about jasmine in my grandmother's garden, that night blooming jasmine. We used to have these midnight picnics because the summers were so hot that, you know, people would sleep um, and then we would have these bazaars where you can, you know, get fresh squeezed pomegranate juice at midnight. It was great. Wow. Wow. What what a beautiful what a beautiful experience. The beautiful world that was. That that very traditional way of of living. I, I, I guess it's still happening in India in, in many parts, right? That, that tradition yeah. still exists. It's exactly. so ancient. It's such an ancient, you know. But that yeah, the very sensual India is so sensual, right? It's so sensual. It's the flowers, it's the silks, it's the saris. You know, it's just it's an incredibly yes. sensual reality. I love that you use the word sensual. Absolutely. And senses and sensuality is such a wonderful gift that we can give ourselves, which is which is all about our pleasure, right? It's about how we feel through our senses for ourselves. And and that sensuality is something that I really truly celebrated. In my designs, when I had my dress shop in the East Village, I would drape directly on your body and the mm-hmm. dress would follow your curves. And it wasn't like a cookie cutter thing. Um, and my wedding dresses were in the New York Times and the Sunday styles. I had so much fun with um, that time and that portion. I learned so much. I dyed everything um, with tea and different things and hand printed and screen printed. I even screen printed excerpts from Blaise Pascal in my own journals. Um, I had a collection called Pascal's Jacket based on his mystical experiences. So it was a really fun time. 
So you've had this amazing background in a very traditional, um, you know, Asian, East Asian kind of uh, life early on as a child living in Pakistan, which then you brought with you when, what you embodied, I would say you embodied, you were given this gift. And when you came into this lifetime to be immersed in this other world, and then you transferred that experience into the Western world, I don't know, it must have been a bit of a shock initially, I would imagine, coming coming into the West. Was it New York when you first lived in the U.S.? I We came in, ironically, for a few months. I spent second grade in Buffalo, one of the coldest places ever. I experienced my first snowfall, which was more like a blizzard that was as high as I was. And it was such a wonderful time. And then we moved on to Wisconsin, which was another really cold place. So I found, you know, I, I think about, you know, when we t- just discussed earlier about Joseph Campbell, I was already reading those stories then and i felt like i was an adventurer on my quest so i'm in a new land this is my adventure and i'm going to see what i can make of it but i did miss the four generations under one roof i did miss Hmm. and speaking of circadian rhythm you know uh, islamic architecture is designed to be in tune with your circadian rhythm so most mm-hmm. of these houses were created with a central courtyard. That was a mm-hmm. private courtyard. And we would have our meals together outside in that courtyard and, you know, spend a lot of evenings out in, in basically under the night sky. And that idea of having a water feature or a green feature, especially when I was living in Morocco, oh, my gosh, the architecture is just exquisite. It is such a pleasure to incorporate those elements now from a circadian standpoint and from an aesthetic standpoint. When those two, you know, align, Cheryl, it's pure magic. And I feel like most of all, the female kind of, the women's circle, that, you know, ancient tradition being passed down from generation to generation, I miss them. I In my book, I, you know, I talked about my aunts and they were like, you know, my fairies um, who all came around me and blessed me with each and every single one of them a different gift by just observing their personalities and their styles and their, their hearts, um, which I really think in a lot of ways we've lost out on in modern life, which is so atomized and separated. I really do miss that level of interaction and having access because truly that is a treasure that um, until you know what it is, you don't even know you're missing it. But I do have, you know, these moments where I feel like, oh, my gosh, to reenact that again. And we do this right now with, you know, modern technology as you and I are talking from two different continents. But it is so nice to be face-to-face, in person, and to share our our wisdom with one another, you know, looking deep into each other's eyes. So you have been on this journey where where myths and mythology and being so uh, taken by the work of Joseph Campbell, whose work was all about delving into the the myths of the the world and understanding them as our journey, the soul's journey. And then that led you to the experience, as you write about in your book, of the diagnosis of breast cancer, which 
is always a shock, always a shock, as it was for you. So can you share a bit about that journey that you went on, especially because you have a different, you know, you have this context of the the soul's journey and and, uh, the hero's journey and the mythology of of women and empowerment. So you had a framework that you called upon to help guide you through a very traumatic and, you know, um, challenging experience in life. It, 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 you cannot help but have, a, you know, an experience of, of, of a trauma when you get a diagnosis. Uh, your world is turned upside down. Nothing is ever the same again. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it was such a surprise to me because, relatively speaking, I thought I was leading a healthy life. I ate well. I exercised. There was one part of my life which um i believe i was in denial of at the time cheryl uh, and that was um a very um parasitic relationship I, I was in at the time and in my book i liken it to um being inside a labyrinth or a, even a cage and sometimes you know my best eastern virtue of you know making do with what i had and, and trying to, you know, be stoic and the false virtue of the good woman to, to constantly, you know, give and give and give, it takes its toll. And it really taught me cancer in that moment and what, you know, ended up coming out of that whole experience was me facing my own truth. And that truth was that the relationship I was in was was not serving me. And I do believe, and we all, you know, more and more are realizing and internalizing that most cancers are epigenetic. They are not genetic. They are linked to your lifestyle. They are linked to your environment. Well, what if you're, you're in a sympathetic state and in a trauma state at all times? That has a precipitating effect on your biology. And for me to recognize that I had been basically affected in that way, which allowed something like breast cancer to take root, I had to acknowledge that in doing so, I had to take steps to not only excise the cancer, but the things in my life that were giving me cancer. Right. So um, um, I think... The most important thing we need to understand is there is always some unresolved emotional wound that we recreate in our life that is sometimes under the surface. It's not conscious. It could be unconscious. Uh, sometimes it's very conscious, like being in an abusive relationship of some sort. That is a stress. It's an ongoing stress that has its toll on one's health. And yeah. that has to be resolved in order to move forward into healing. Absolutely. Or and you can't think, heal in the same Yeah. Acknowledge. Yeah, you can't heal in the same environment that, you know, made you sick. And right. I mean that in a metaphorical sense and also in a physical sense. What I ended up doing, there's two ways I dealt with it. One was to define this as a moment where I pivot into a different way of being and a different way of recognizing truth inside of my body, right? 
and I used the metaphor of, of Persephone. And Persephone and I go way back. We go back to third grade. As, as soon as I discovered her, I knew there was something special about her. And I did not know that I would become her, Cheryl. It, she was abducted and taken down into her underworld by Hades. But instead of Hades being the villain in the story, he became her lover and her husband. And the pomegranate seeds that she ate, the, the seeds of the dead, while she was down in the underworld, were my seeds of wisdom, my initiation into the darkest, deepest parts of myself, the parts sometimes we don't want to see, parts that we sometimes hide away, um, the parts that we don't like about ourselves, and face those parts. And that was a very cathartic moment for me to recognize that we always have agency, it's not like I was making anyone else a villain in my story. In the sense, a lot of times when it comes to cancer, even the rhetoric is, you know, the doctor is the hero, the cancer is the villain, and the patient is the victim. It's a perfect drama, drama triangle. But what that does is it really absolves a person going through cancer from having any kind of active role in their own healing. And I think instead of being a passive person watching this happen to me, I became an active hero role of saving myself, if that makes any sense. So in that regard, I realized it was really important for me to also audit my environment emotionally, physically, um, every in every which way. And from there, oh my goodness, I ended up completely clearing out, you know, from my Teflon frying pan to um, really taking a look at my diet and looking at materials. I mean, I already advised architectural firms on their materials, but to look at it through the lens of cancer and any kind of toxicity, I really started paying attention. And you know what was so crazy when I did that? It ended up bringing me back to my roots. All the materials that I used when I was younger were now the ones that actually keep you healthy. Like wool, 100% wool carpeting. I keep telling people that the number one contributor to indoor air pollution, which, by the way, our indoor air is far more polluted than our outdoor air. The number one contributor to your indoor air pollution is your carpeting. It could very well be whatever synthetic, um, you know, mixed viscose or um, bamboo silk. Those things are toxic. Um, by the way, bamboo silk, I always laugh because that's such a euphemism. Um, it's even the padding underneath the carpet. It could be the glue that's between your carpet and your floors. And basically, they release nanoparticles, the dust in your air that you breathe every single day. And how that ties to circadian rhythm is kind of amazing because it's so important to create airflow. And when you open your window, just the simplest act of opening your window allows light, since it's not polarized, to bounce against surfaces and to actually help you on a metabolic, um, you know, wonderful level I would say on a, even a spiritual level, to rejuvenate the living battery that you are. So it sounds like when you got that diagnosis, 
you you entered uh, another world, and um, it really was this huge wake up call to reevaluate everything in your life, including relationships that were toxic and uh, harmful to you, to um, be on this journey. It, 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 it certainly sounds, and from your book, you know, so many things change. Like you said, just using wool carpeting, so many things change in that moment when that diagnosis occurred that you would not have looked at or addressed or even have been aware of before. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, you know, I it takes a calamity such as cancer to be one's wake-up call. And I hope that for anyone listening to not, you know, to create your paradise now really is possible because you don't have to wait in purgatory to live a beautiful life. And while I was going through cancer treatment, you know, there's that phrase about the cobbler's kids. I started looking around my own space and I am said, oh, my gosh, I really need to change this. I spent so much time dealing with other people's homes. What about my own home? And mm-hmm. I started investing in art and, and, you know, putting art that I've always wanted. And you know what was crazy is now the science is backing up every single thing that I did on an intuitive level. The ability of neuroaesthetics, the actual effect of looking at art and experiencing art has a wonderful effect on your brain waves. It has actually Mm. a wonderful effect. It increases your dopamine. And so... When you're surrounded, and you use the word sensual, when you use your senses to experience that pleasure, believe it or not, Cheryl, I ended up realizing that instead of waiting to feel good, especially going through cancer treatment, I started investing in my pleasure, and that helped me to recover with such grace and alignment. And from that, I ended up, wanting to share my wisdom with others who were going through this. And I ended up working, um, doing workshops at the local hospital. I was the keynote speaker um, here last year and at Survivor's Day. And to be able to literally be your own interior designer, I believe we all are, are our own interior designers. For me, it's about self-empowerment and self-actualization. So what you really have discovered is creating your environment at home to be a, an energy field of healing. You know, when you say that, I look around at my home and I have um, the paintings I have are a tonka from uh, hand painted from Tibet and other mm. Buddhist symbols. And on the other side of my room, I have the most amazing and unique. Uh, Aboriginal art piece that is an expression of women's wisdom and the circles of women giving birth to... It's a unique piece because it's in 3D, which I've never seen any other original Aboriginal art. So it's a woman's business. And I have a table that's filled with crystals. So for me, my space has to be a space that creates an energy field of, um, of uh, I would say, of spirituality. 
you know, I want to be in this field. So I totally relate to what you're saying. This is an energy field you're creating in your home. Oh my gosh, I have to see pictures it. now. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm so I'm so intrigued. That is amazing, Cheryl. Yes, yes. It's so important and it is spiritual. It's funny that you mentioned that because in my course I talk about all your table surfaces as your altars. And mm-hmm. the fact that your home is sacred, just as your body is, and the surfaces of your space are your altar. So what would you put on your mm-hmm. altar? Would you put junk on there and clutter on there? Or would you curate a collection, a vignette of meaningful objects, talismanic objects that have meaning for you, that have reverence mm-hmm. for you? And that is how I would live in my paradise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you are attracted to crystals, which so many people are, they are you can program them with different frequencies, different energies, and then they are in your space emitting a field, contributing to that healing environment, whatever you want to program your crystals with, or whatever thoughts, whatever energies of peace, of healing. So, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating journey to understand the importance of creating sacred space. I really, I, I totally get what you're saying, and uh, to come into and to come into your home and feel that. You know, um, I've done a lot of exploration with uh, energy medicine, and in some of the technologies I've worked with, you actually can take a picture of uh, a space of a room, and you can then program frequencies into that room that you want, you know, frequencies of, of, of love, of peace, of harmony, of, of healing, of upliftment. So you are taking this space that's actually a, a, like, it's like a, it's like a person and you can project mm. those frequencies into that space of healing. I love that. And I believe in it. I really truly believe that certain, even just in certain locations, they have a resonance. There is a real energy that's embedded um, in certain spaces. I know I felt them when I was young and and going to certain shrines and Sufi uh, mystics um, or even just my grandmother's house. There's a a level of sacredness that I think sometimes we forget about, right? We're just in this functionality and mode of functionality. And often, yes, something can look pretty, but when it's imbued with your soul, we're talking about a whole other level of being. So how did you emerge? You chose to do the traditional treatment for breast cancer, radiation, chemotherapy, and uh, I think some surgery. How, how did you emerge from those um, those experiences, which are so intense and so scary, actually? Thank you. I, you know, I surrendered to okay, well, here, this is what I must do. Um, my my aunt, um, my mother's younger sister, she passed away from the same diagnosis um, the summer prior to me, and it was so devastating to our family. But one of the things that happened was that she really waited far too long to really address the problem. And I... In, in, in response to my own diagnosis, what I then did was, oh, my gosh, what can I do immediately? How? how I don't want to wait. I, you know, I was, I'm 
a single mom entrepreneur. I had my young son and I want to be around for him. And what could I do? And, you know, I sought and interviewed with the best um, surgeons and, and the best teams here in New York City, which I was lucky to do. And as much as it was in an allopathic journey, what I then did is complement that journey with a lot of different modalities um, in addition to just that. I didn't just take the allopathic um, way um, as my one and only way. I actually complemented with, for example, meditation while I was going through chemo. I, you know, I researched the drugs that I was taking, and one of them was um, Taxol or Taxotere, which is derived from the Pacific yew tree, which is an ancient tree. So then I imagined, and you know, tree beloved by the Druids and a tree of immortality. So I was meditating while I was in chemo with the lights off, no fluorescent lights on me, and I meditated that what was being infused was not killing myself, but giving me the immortality to rise past this. And I have that meditation in my course as well, and many other meditations through complementary meditations. I also did hypnosis, which was also very beneficial to deal with um, the fatigue that I was feeling, immense amount of bone pain. And I really tried to use um, my background as well in terms of the sensual portion of recreating rituals of reverence, even when all I could eat was just a, a banana or some yogurt. I would put it in my best dishes and sprinkle rose petals on my table and, and have garnishes um, on uh, flowers and on my plates to really kind of make it a special occasion. Because in that moment, just my intuition told me that I needed that level of beauty. And beauty is truly healing. I, I am embedded about this very much more now than ever because I allowed myself to experience the beauty while I was going through the greatest amount of trauma. And those two things may sound counterintuitive or just mutually exclusive. They're not. And a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of other survivors and, and, and patients who feel like they're not beautiful, that cancer does change you. It does metamorphize you. And I, I use, again, the imagery of the snake of shedding her skin and becoming renewed and that I was sloughing off a, the old version of me for a better version of me, a stronger version of me. And I think mindset can't be underestimated when it comes to any kind of, um, you know, chronic illness or any illness. I made the decision to come out of this better than ever. And that was a commitment I kept. And how we choose to perceive circumstances is so fundamental to how we emerge from those journeys. And uh, I'm sure when you were doing your, you know, chemo and radiation, because uh, usually you sit in a room with other people, right? <laughs> and you're getting me yeah. Um 
but there were, you know, I'm sure you met women who just saw this as the end, but you saw this as the beginning of something new. So you changed your whole perception of the journey. Yes, yes. And it's funny because while I was going to chemo, um, I had pictures of me with the nurses and I was telling them, you know, I was designing a room for a show house in Brooklyn and we were all talking about the imagery and the symbolism and, and the furniture I was using. And it's funny because one of the, um, the designers, one of the artists that I used, it was this beautiful shed. Stunning. Um, it's on my website in, in Claim Your Paradise. It, you'll see it. It's gold and cheerling, and it's one of these sculptures that you feel like a goddess would sit on. So the room was really an homage to the goddess Persephone, and it was in honor of my um, late aunt. And for me, designing that room was like just chewing on this delicious dish while I was going through this chemo, I had something to look forward to. And I think that's really important as well, at least for my personality, is that hope is important. Hope is is a, a necessary ingredient in the dish, in the recipe, um, in our treatment recipe, is to have something to look forward to that we are still in a process of creating and um, it was funny because the nurses were commenting. They're like, oh, we're going to visit you. And, and they did. They did. It was really, really great. Now, wouldn't it be phenomenal if you could design an environment at the hospital when women or people are getting these treatments to create a healing space for them? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, my gosh. That would. You're you're. You're profoundly um, right on the money there, Cheryl. I That is my dream. My dream is to create a space, a sanctuary, a place of healing and beauty, mm-hmm. especially when you need it the most, when you're scared, mm-hmm. when you're feeling traumatized, when you don't know what tomorrow might bring and everything is coming down on your head. That's when you need beauty the most. And my dream as a woman is to be able to create that sacred, beautiful circle of my childhood using textiles and color and flowers and scent Mm -hmm. and beautiful lighting to create this paradise right in that moment, in that chemo infusion link. And, you know, now more than ever, we have technologies that can be used, whether it's light or whether it's sound or whether it's smell, that actually heal. So to be able to create environments where we can be in a healing space surrounded by these energies that uplift and help to transform our, uh, our bodies would be amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Yes, yes, and, you know, it's really funny. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna. I was gonna say in your book, you talk about when you were in Mount Sinai doing these treatments. You were in the basement, <laughs> the dark <laughs> basement, like being entombed. I mean, oh, what a you know, what a depressing space. Yeah, as much as I love my my team over there, I really was cursing at whoever designed that chemo unit, um, why they put people in the basement. 
which was crazy because the waiting area, there was a windows, there were windows there, but when you went into the warren of rooms for the chemo infusion, it was not so nice. And, you know, I said, you know, I was one step into Hades and, you know, we were deceased <laughs> and we weren't, you know, we were buried alive. So I, I really got that metaphor. And again, where you are matters. In terms of your environment, it does have an effect and it has a resonant effect. It has a metaphorical and spiritual effect on you. And I think that, that power, and if we have the power to create a beautiful, light-filled space with gorgeous flowers and trees and, you know, even butterflies. Um, I don't know if you ever watched that movie, Angels and Insects. It's one of my favorites. And um, I think Kristen Scott Thomas, that's like when I first discovered her. Uh, and she, it's just an exquisite movie where they talk about um, evolution and they um, had this one scene in a, in a Victorian conservatory. And um, I think it was Patsy Kensett who was sitting um, wearing this dress that was coated in um, pheromones, which would attract the butterflies and the moths to her. And I just love that imagery of creating this, you know, we have these gorgeous, we have the ability and we have the wherewithal and the science to create these butterfly gardens. Why not have a butterfly garden for people recovering from chemo? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. why not have your waiting area be a butterfly garden? Why not be transported to this lush oasis? Why not? And this is, these are the places where I feel we need beauty the most. Why not have art installations? Why not have drum circles? Why not have dance performances where you're transported? It's all possible. So how did you move through that time to the place of knowing that you were healed, that the, you know, the process you were in was complete? Oh, my goodness. It's taken, you know, what they don't tell you is that especially with the kind of treatment that I had, which was so intense that it takes years to heal. It takes years to heal the, the tissue. It takes from, from surgery. It takes years to build that strength and range of motion when I could finally lift weights again. I, it takes years to get back. And by the way, I spent so much time studying nutrition and looking at my diet, which I already had a pretty good, you know, sense of, but my God, you know, the state of um, farming here in the States is very um, deplorable. And look, you know, I've been supporting the local farmer's market. I live in New York City. I know where I get my eggs from, who I get my eggs from. Um, I even researched having chickens here, but that's not a possibility. But looking at every stage, oh, I love, I, I grew up with chickens. So every stage of, you know, your nutrition, what goes into your body, even the, the um, latitude of the food that is grown, it's really important to eat seasonally at your latitude versus from, you know, a tropical place because that has a different sun signature. So all of those things really took time. And I think if anyone's going through this, please don't be impatient. 
you know, just because treatment is over, it, your healing has just begun. Your healing mm-hmm. has just begun. It's really important to be patient with yourself. And no one, you know, I remember going back to my surgeon. I said, you know, what? Do, how long does this take to heal? And she said, oh, it takes years. And I said, what? No one told me. You know, when were you going to tell me this? Um, because we ha- we're already living in such a aesthetic-minded society, especially as women, and we judge ourselves according to how we look. Our worth is tied to how we look, even just to ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. being able to understand and feel my own beauty by allowing myself to have pleasure through my senses, by allowing mm-hmm. myself the time with nutrition to build back the minerals that I had lost through chemo, to bring myself and, and to give myself time to grow my hair and to renew my skin after radiation. All these mm-hmm. things take time. Mm-hmm. So in terms and of healing, yes. I was just going to, you know, reaffirm that that's not um, a knowledge and education that women get most of the time. It's like you have to find your way to the other side of the process. That is why I created what I did, Cheryl, because so many people didn't know. I didn't know. And, you know, now I mentor other survivors and other patients and I when I started doing these workshops I was so gratified and and filled up inside my soul was so filled up by helping others to find a way through it because even in like the support groups it's like no one tells you that it takes years to recover from you know this allopathic very strong treatment and a lot of women are really hard on themselves and they're they feel like they've done it wrong or you know somehow they are relegated to being um less than for the rest of their lives like somehow they're not complete anymore and i really want to divest any one of that rhetoric that thing that we tell ourselves about ourselves and how we frame ourselves and how we speak about ourselves. It's really important to recognize. So I, the course that I created for providers and patients is how to get through it from a survivor's point of view, but also from a designer's point of view, using every single design technique that I used on myself, combining that with all the modalities that I explored and worked on on myself and yeah it's very niche it's very specific but it's authentic well you know i have no doubt Manish, that there that a, a day will come as people learn more about your work where you will be invited to create the most healing environment for people going through any kind of treatment i i, I think it's inevitable that's such a powerful intention and a purpose you have in your life right now I so appreciate you mirroring my greatest heart's desire and my soul's desire back to me across oceans. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that's lovely. Beyond Thank time and space, right? Yes, so, so yes. Tell, tell, us, tell us more about Claim Your Paradise website, what you're offering, your courses, where people can get your wonderful book, Purgatory to Paradise. I really 
encourage people who are going through any type of transformational experience to read your book, not just the health crisis, any any challenge in life. It's so deep and so profound in your understanding. You know, as you're talking, and I know Persephone and that whole that whole mythology is so powerful for you, but you went into Hades in this treatment and you came out, and now you're creating all this beauty and life and love in the world, which is that mythology when you come back up and it's summer and spring and you know, the world is in bloom again, which is what you're essentially doing right now. Thank you. Thank you so much. I created Claim Your Paradise for anyone who's going through any calamity, really, not just cancer, any calamity. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a chapter in my book called Calamity to Catharsis. And there is something for everyone there because I try to make it, it's, it's, it's very overwhelming, especially when you're going through. So there's modules for someone looking at mindset, exactly talking from that lens of being your own hero and self-actualizing and having a reframing of, of your illness. There's practical steps in terms of what you can do, modalities to complement, and also self-heal. There's other steps to create your your healing oasis at home, and things you can do in the hospital too, things that you can change in the hospital. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time in hospitals, and I realized that there are decorative things that providers can do to create if they don't have access to renovation and a renovation budget, but there's things that can actually take um, practical things that they can do to decorate and transform their space. So there's that. And I also have audit lists where you can go and have easy swaps for things that are in your space that are silent killers that we don't even realize are, which I then did for myself. And um, for your listeners, I also have a, a free gift. It's claimyourparadise.com slash opt dash in opt in. And it's a list of three things you can Buy right now from a high-end designer. There's three things from someone who's gone through cancer where you can, you know, buy these three things and create your own altar and your own sacred space in your home right here, right now, today. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, You know, how exciting to um, be able to offer that. And and to see that um, as you went through your journey, Something new emerged. You you did go through a transformational journey. I mean, creating this new website, Claim Your Paradise, doing the work you're doing, your courses, being a keynote speaker at these events, that's, you know, I would say it's supporting you and stepping into a greater purpose in your life, really serving others. It's my mission, Cheryl. It's really, truly my honor and my passion because one thing is true, everything happens for a reason, and I'm definitely my statesman part of my life where I share these pomegranate seeds of wisdom, and I can't keep them all to myself. I have to share, and uh, if I can help one person feel good about themselves and feel centered 
I, I, I feel like I've turned into a goddess. If I can help you turn into one too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's so inspiring to hear the transformational journey that you went on from the depths and taking all of the experience and all of the wisdoms and all the teachings from your tradition and from your family to uh, be a source of, of strength to move you into uh, a new phase of your life. You know, it changes you forever. And thank God, thank God that you went through this journey because without that journey, you wouldn't be truly fulfilling your spiritual purpose right now. Thank you so much for saying that. Your words are beautiful, so beautiful. I'm honored to share my story with you, truly. Yeah, you know, with hindsight, we can um, understand and embrace the process while we're in it. It's unknown territory, and it's scary because we don't know what's going to happen to us, and we yeah. don't necessarily have any uh, security or assurity that it's going to lead us is something new and, and and stay alive. We don't know. It's like you're truly in the unknown. And, you know, the unknown, you know, I've done some really wonderful workshops with Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dispenza and he talks a lot about the unknown, creating the, from the field of possibilities. And when you're in the unknown, it's when you can really focus on all of those possibilities because you have nothing else to guide you. You have nothing nothing certain around you anymore. The only thing you're left with is understanding that as you focus on the outcomes you want and the possibilities that exist, which are endless, you can create a new reality for yourself. And that's when this work is so powerful and the potential is so profound. Yes, my son was, we were watching Moana and um, I, I actually use that metaphor where I, she goes past the reef and to the unknown and to the open waters and that's really how I feel right now. I'm on my hero's journey and, you know, I'm meeting beautiful people like you and being able to commune with our wisdom together is truly a gift and I, I welcome to more um, explorations ahead. And, Mawish, I want to just say, you live in New York City, and there's no other place on the planet that needs this wisdom more than New York City right now. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you. I'm sure your work is limited to New York City, but New York, the energy in New York City needs so much love and beauty and healing for everyone living in it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's my playground. It's my little, I build my little sand temples here. <laughs> Well, well, I'm sure you're creating beauty there wherever you go. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. So for everyone listening, we've come to the end of this wonderful, inspiring conversation. And I just want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Purgatory to Paradise and check out Mawish's website, claimyourparadise.com, and take advantage of the special offer. So it's, it's claimyourparadise.com slash offer. What is it? Opt-in. Opt-in. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll put that in the notes as well so people will be sure to check it out. So, uh, I, you know, I just wish you um, all the great success and the fulfillment of all your dreams and visions for bringing more healing and beauty into this world. You're, uh, you know, you were made for this. 
you, you know, from early in life, you were so made for this journey that you're on right now. I'm, I'm sure it feels like you're bringing it all together, everything you learned from your ancestors and your culture and to what your passion is as an artist, bringing it into the world right now. Thank you so much for being a part of my beautiful tapestry in this conversation, Cheryl, and I look forward to weaving more beauty with you together. <laughs> I look forward to that as well. So. Um, to everyone listening, thank you. I'm sure it's been an inspiring conversation for everyone, as I hope every show is. And until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, harmony, and beauty. So until then, have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.